Hello everyone, welcome back to Devos with D. I'm Pastor D and I'm from the Heights Church and we're going to be studying on the mysteries of Revelation. We've been studying these past six weeks and this is going to be the final session. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 13. I want to just let you know that because this is the last session, next week we'll be studying something that's going to be kind of fun. One of the viewers who watches Devils with D asked me if I would go through Christian cliches or Christian sayings that may not be in direct um, correlation with the Bible, maybe some Christian myths. So please turn in next week so we can go through that and have fun together studying because maybe you're saying some of these cliches and maybe you need to know. I, I'm sure I've said some of these cliches and maybe I need to stop saying them. So we're going to really go in depth about Christian cliches and I hope you'll be there with me. So we are in Revelation chapter 13 and we're going to talk a little bit uh, about just giving you an overview of Revelation chapter 13. I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version or a short bite. And I hope you'll stick with me throughout this entire study because it's not going to be a 10-minute session. I'm sorry for those of you who uh, have a short attention span. I I'm sure it's going to be at least 30 minutes. So I hope you'll just batten down the hatches and stay with me. Okay, we're going to get into that overview now. The overview of Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation chapter 13, we have the discovery and the description of the church's enemies and of Israel's enemy. We have a clear and full development of Satan's instruments of evil. Now, when we look at the book of Revelation, you need to know that it is considered apocalyptic literature. What do I mean by apocalyptic? It means that it's predicting the end of the world, or that it is telling you about the end of the world. And it's important that we know this genre. You need to know the genre so you can interpret, understand, and apply what you're reading. Revelation and Daniel are considered apocalyptic literature. Listen to what Christianity.com says about that. These books are marked by hyperbole, symbolism, a concern about events of global proportions, invisible cosmic battles being fought in very visibly everyday life, and visions illustrated through fantastic imagery. So this is apocalyptic literature. In the book of Revelation, believers are urged to faithfulness even though it seems like evil is winning. And then we find out that God is sovereign. God will have the victory. God will have the final say. Listen to what Dr. William Hendrickson, who was a Dutch reform scholar, listen to what he said about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is like looking at a film moving at double speed. All of the creatures, persons, events move so quickly before us, we can barely make them out. But we know there is a drama unfolding before us, the drama of the ages. Yeah, something is going to be happening in the future. And I am so glad that God is showing us ahead of time. I love God. He doesn't keep us in the dark. He doesn't hide things from us. 
He doesn't discuss everything with us. He doesn't give us the A to Z, but he does let us know some things that are very important for us to know as his family, as believers. So let's get into Revelations chapter 13. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10 in the ESV. And it reads like this. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? We're in verse five. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. If anyone has a ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be captive or to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, with the sword, he must be slain. I believe this is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. I want to also go through a couple of supporting scriptures because I need to go beyond Revelation 13. There are other things being said that coordinate or seem to correlate with Revelation 13. And here are a few of them. We're going to be in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. We're going to go to Mark 13 verses 22 and 23. All of these are going to be in the ESV. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Let's go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 
18 and then verse 22. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. We're going to read 1 John 4, 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is come from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. 2 John 1, verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So you see how they correlate to what we just read in Revelations 13. Listen to this quote from Watchman Nee. He said, it is difficult to estimate how much of the world's philosophy, ethics, knowledge, research, and science flow from the powers of darkness. But of one point, we are certain. All arguments and proud obstacles against the knowledge of God are the fortresses of the enemy. So let's interpret a little bit. Let's dig into Revelations 13 and understand what was in those verses. The beast from the sea is Satan's agent on the earth. He is the counterpart to the lamb who is God's agent. The beast represents a form of tyrannical power. The beast's seven heads are identified with the seven heels of Rome. And many believe it was a heads up to an and that's not a pun. Uh, many believe that it was an alert to the believers during the first century. Some also believe this about the seven heads. Some bi Bible expositors say the seven heads are the principal rulers of the Antichrist revived Roman Empire. Others suggest that the seven heads may be successive world empires, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and the seventh is not yet known. And it could be the Antichrist revealed or revived Roman Empire. The beast is often called the Antichrist. And he, in those scriptures, it talks about him being composed of three animals, a lion, a bear, and a leopard. And it seems to signify the fierceness, strength, and swiftness of those creatures. 
He could be the same beast predicted in Daniel 7. It, it looks very similar, but we can't say for sure. 666 may simply mean evil raised to its highest power. You know, I have heard a lot about 666, and I'm going to tell you a lot of the things that we've studied, I really treasure, but I don't worry about them. You know, I, it doesn't make me anxious. I just know they're going to happen. Maybe I'll be here when they happen, and maybe I won't. But in the meantime, we need to know about them, and we need to know more about them. And we can't trust everything other people are saying. I don't even want you to necessarily trust what I'm saying. I'm relaying a lot of information, but I want you to follow up with your own course of study. So what are the theories on 666? Because we always hear about that and it's coming. We're going to be marked and blah, blah, blah. Here's some. 666 is considered the mark of the beast. The mark, this mark, 666, is the mark of mankind or opposite of the divine plan of salvation. It's God denying. It means it resists God. It opposes God. 666, some people believe, is a name. Dr. Roger Barrier, in his article, What Does 666 Mean?, said this. Giving a number to a name is called gematria which is the Greek practice of adding up the letters in a person's name, and each letter in the Greek language has numerical equivalent or has a numerical value. Many scholars thought it could be Nero because the number of his name was 666, and he inflicted antichrist-like horror upon the first century. Nero was indeed an antichrist, as well as a type or picture of the coming future Antichrist. So he was just a type. He was just a picture of what was to come. 666 is symbolic. Using the biblical meaning of numbers or biblical numerology, which is the study of numbers in the Bible, it would be this. The first six would mean the perfectly false religions of man under Satan's lead. The second six is for false governments of this world. And then the third six is symbolic of mankind's self-centered economic systems. What is the meaning of the word antichrist? Anti means to be opposed or to be the complete opposite of. An antichrist attacks anything about Christ. Anyone who opposes the divinity of Christ or him as the Messiah is an antichrist. There have been many since the time of Christ and they are in the world today. Let's look again as at an antichrist. As an antichrist, it is the spirit of the antichrist that lives within these human beings and not necessarily a specific person. That's what some people think. And they believe there isn't a distinction between an antichrist and the antichrist. And I believe that also. 
I'm of that same opinion. The Apostle John was the only one to use this term in Scripture, in 1 John and in 2 John, as we read previously. So what's the significance of names? Because we need to know that. We need to know what names mean in Scripture and why, you know, there's given significance to names. Names in Scripture have historic, symbolic, or spiritual significance. Names are used precisely and discriminately, meaning they're not just used helter-skelter. There's a reason why a specific name is used. Names are used to express character. Titles are used to show relationships. In the ancient Jewish culture, names were used to show loyalty to God and Jewish greatness. Names signify worth, character, reputation, authority, will, and ownership. So the Antichrist is called the beast. We saw that in scripture. But the Antichrist has been given other names. I, To my understanding, scholars have come up with maybe 35 to 37 names. Let me just share a few. The man of sin, the son of perdition, and the lawless one in 2 Thessalonians 2. I already told you he was called the beast. The bloody and deceitful man in Psalm 5. The wicked one in Psalm 10. The enemy in Psalm 55. The little horn in Daniel 7. The profane and wicked prince of Israel in Ezekiel 21. Where is this person going to come from? Where do they come from? Because we want to know what direction do we need to know where they're going to be coming from and who are they and why are they here, that kind of thing. So where do they come from? The Bible does not give specifics. He may or may not be alive yet. Scholars say this, that he'll come from a confederacy of 10 nations. Those are the 10 horns or the reborn Roman Empire. The ten horns could also represent governments. We already said it might be nations. And it might be those that support the major powers in their oppression of Israel and God's people. He'll be a powerful ruler, they think, from the Mediterranean region. Some even think that he may be Jewish because he's going to claim to be the Messiah. Listen to what these two people from the 13th century said. It is Monk Adso of Montier Under and scholar Hugh Replin. Again, these two were from the 13th century and they believe this. As Christ was born of a virgin by means of conception by the Holy Spirit, so the Antichrist will be born of a whore by means of conception by a diabolical spirit. Although opinions differed as to whether the Antichrist father will be a man or a demon, in either case, the Antichrist will be commonly noted as full of the devil from his time of conception. Both Christ and the Antichrist are born of the Jews. 
Remember, this is these two people in the 13th century. But Antichrist will be born of the tribe of Dan, the viper in the road from Genesis 49:17, rather than the tribe of Judah, and in Babylon, not Bethlehem. Like Christ, the Antichrist will grow up in obscurity and begin his open ministry at age 30, gaining followers by giving signs and performing miracles. The signs and miracles once more are polar opposites of Christ because the Antichrist's supposed miracles will only be tricks. That is really interesting. I had never heard that before. The Bible says that we will recognize him. Just know that. We will be shown who the Antichrist is, according to 2 Thessalonians 2. We will recognize him. So don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious that maybe you're going to miss it. I believe the Holy Spirit will show us exactly who it is, but we need to listen. What are the characteristics of the Antichrist? What, what could we look for? What would point to that's the Antichrist? And this is just, again, we don't know for sure, but as far as we know, we think these are pertinent characteristics. He will blaspheme God. He'll claim to be God and demand worship. He'll set himself up in a temple. He'll display miraculous powers. He'll actually do signs and wonders to draw attention to himself and to get the glory. But these signs and these miraculous things may just be fake. He'll be resurrected or come back to life. Because in scripture it talks about him having a mortal wound, but the mortal wound will be healed. He'll be given full authority on the earth. And this will be for 42 months or three and a half years only. And this is all within God's sovereign plan. He'll control the world's economy. Goods and services, he'll control those. He'll also control who can buy and sell. And a mark will be required to buy and to sell. He'll try to destroy Israel and the people of God. He'll desecrate the temple. And what do I mean when I say he'll desecrate the temple? It means he'll shut down temple worship and abolish the daily sacrifice because many believe that they're going to start up temple worship again and sacrifices in Israel. He will erect an idol made in his likeness. So he'll have a statue that he's going to put right in the temple of himself. He will declare himself as a God. We said that. And he will make an abhorrent or offensive sacrifice on the altar, like using an unclean pig. And this was done before in history. If you look in the second century, if you read about Antiochus IV Epiphanes, he was a pagan king who conquered Israel and did just that. Again, he'll cause the earth's armies to fight Christ. And he becomes crazed with his own power. He is so corrupted, so blinded by the power he acquires, he becomes so prideful that he actually believes he can defeat God Almighty through Jesus Christ or in the person of Jesus Christ.
This is his coup de grace, meaning his death blow, his ultimate mistake, and his final decision that he gets to make. Listen to this quote, and it's from Ellen G. White. She says this, The last great delusion is soon to open before us. The Antichrist is about to perform his marvelous works in our sight. So closely will this counterfeit resemble the true that, is, that it will be impossible to distinguish between them except by the Holy Scripture. That's pretty chilling. And scripture talks about that, that this could even turn away some of God's elect, that they fall by the wayside. But we don't want to do that. We want to hold fast our profession of faith, nothing wavering. So here are my thoughts. And I'm going to probably end with these thoughts. I have four that I would like to share with you. The beast or the Antichrist is a man. Or I should say, a person is going to be in physical form. Because who's to say that the, that the Antichrist couldn't be female? I'm just going to throw that out to you. The second thing is, John may not be pointing to one particular arch enemy of God's people in the past or present but an embodiment of evil that manifests itself in different people throughout history. The next thing is that Satan and his cohorts may seem to have the upper hand, but God will ultimately assert control. They will not have the victory. It'll just seem that way. And in life, when we look at circumstances, so many times we think it's this, but it's not that. It's just that we're so focused on the external circumstances. God will be victorious. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Jesus Christ will reign forever. My final thought is only those who are Christ will be delivered. You know, it talks about the book of life and the names that are in the book of life. I want your name to be in the book of life. I want my name to be in the book of life. I don't want to do things that are contrary to the word, contrary to God's precepts and principles, contrary to God's commands. I want to follow him and I want to follow him hard. I want to just, when I get there, he say, good and faithful servant. And I am looking forward to those words. I don't know about you, but I am so looking forward to hearing that. Good and faithful servant. I want that for you. So just know the only way that we'll be protected is to be under the cover, under the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have given our life to him, that we follow him, that we are God's children. That's the only way we'll be protected. So I thank you for joining me for this final session in the Mysteries of Revelation. I hope it has been an exciting time for you. I hope you have learned things. That is my heart's cry, that we all learn something, that we gain, that we get a foot up, you know, that, that we are that much closer to understanding what God is showing us. So I love you. I'm praying for you. Every week, I'm praying for the body. I believe that there are many more things for us to dig into in the Word, and I hope you continue to join me. We've been here since um, the beginning, well, actually since March 29th, 
and will continue until Jesus says stop. So I hope you will continue to connect. Bless you as you go forward in Jesus' name.